Well, if you're new with us, we've been studying Ecclesiastes, and it is a, a crazy, incredible book intent to be read in one section. I encourage you to try to read it all in one shot, because uh, then you understand this whole vanity of vanities, all is vanity, because really, anything without God, the fear of God and obeying God, anything without God just is worthless. God is meaningful. Life without God is meaningless. It just is less. It is all less. But with God, everything is more. And that's where we're at. And we've been studying as we looked at the first part of chapter 4, as we've been walking through, we saw about oppression and all these kinds of stuff. If we're looking for the world for answers, dealing with justice and oppression, we realize that there is no answer. It's all vanity. But Christ brings us comfort. Last week we talked about not only about God brings us comfort, but He is the one that brings us community. We were meant to be together, to be in community and to work together. And that was the beauty of yesterday. If, if you didn't get a chance to go, you missed it. It was a wonderful opportunity. The Resurrection Road, I'm going to throw a curveball at Leanne and see if she can throw up those those pictures again. I was just so blessed as a pastor hearing other people from other churches uh, saying the, how encouraged they were by all those helping out from our church. And uh, we had two scenes. It was a drive-through to see from the, from the triumphant entry of Christ on Palm Sunday all the way to the crucifixion and his resurrection. And you can see some... Uh, uh, what we were doing, yeah, and uh, if we even had Jesus with us, and uh, if you haven't met him, he's sitting in the back, you can go see him after the service, <laughs> and uh, it was funny because he played the part so well, people were yelling across the parking lot, Jesus, and uh, typical European looking Jesus, and uh, of course, David is from northern European area, and uh, his descent, and uh, I was yelling back across, stop swearing, and <laughs> it was so much fun. We had, it was so much joy overcoming so many different obstacles, but the joy for me was seeing the body of Christ working together. I had so many people come in. I'm just thankful for your church and the people at your church. They, they came and helped us because our, our area, the thing that we were in charge of, wasn't working, and, and uh, so-and-so came and helped, and so-and-so came and helped and did this, and they brought this, and, and it was such a blessing and, uh, for all those that were involved as uh, they were a part of that, and, and uh, it was a blessing to see the community that we talked about last week in, in uh, Ecclesiastes and all those verses working together as the body putting together such a beautiful uh, drive-through, seeing the last works of Christ. And, um, and we're looking forward to the, the finished work of Christ when He comes back and brings us home to be with Him. Well, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you haven't heard, uh, Julia is back with us. Uh, oh, and she brought her parents with her and uh, Benjamin and Ella, and, and they passed. And you can go tell them, ask them about that as they pass their mechanics certification, as they can be 
Um, I take it they can train others and take care of mechanics, and, uh, and that's important in their area as their mission work continues to go to Africa and to work and do missions in the area of aviation and uh, not only flying but taking care of uh, airplanes and other missionaries and all of that to support the gospel ministry. And so if you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to go spend time, talk with them, invite them out to eat, uh, invite them over to your house and get to know this amazing work that God has called them to. And it's a great opportunity to support them. And so grateful for the, the offerings that have already come in for them and continue to come in for them. And what a blessing. I'm going to read our text and then let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and encourage us. We're looking particularly at verses 13 through 16 this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king. Now, he's not calling old people foolish, okay? Um, We're going to get there, so don't stop there in your thinking. Uh, We'll get to the understanding of, of this. But an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison, this is talking about the young, uh, the young guy, for he went from prison to the throne, uh, though in his, uh, in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move under, and, uh, under the sun along with that youth who was, who was to stand in the king's place. Or basically saying the youth that took the place of the king. And he said, there is no end. Um, And I saw the living who moved under the sun along with the youth who was in the stand of the king's place. There was no end to all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and striving after the wind. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this parable from Solomon. Give us wisdom and encouragement and joy as we look at this thought that you have given to us in your word, directed by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit to speak to our hearts, open our ears, our eyes, our hearts. Help us to understand in this day in which tradition holds that you came and everybody cried out, Hosanna. Lord, they, 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 they worshipped you in a wrong sense. They wanted you to be just the king of Jerusalem, but Lord, you are the king of all, the whole universe. You are the Lord of lords. And I pray that you would help us to learn from their mistakes and that we would use it in our own life that we might glorify you and that daily we would kneel before you, submitting our lives to you our whole life, loving you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might, that we might glorify you and lift you high to make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Palm Sunday, and This text is amazing as we look at Ecclesiastes and we look at uh, the vain problem of popularity and and it's amazing as we look at this parable 
how it fits with this Sunday as we would celebrate and talk about Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus had become, at this point in history, long ago, he had become very popular. He had done a lot of miracles, and he raised his friend from the dead. He had gone from weeping to raising Lazarus and calling him forth and taking off the grave clothes. A week later, Christ himself is going to be put into a grave, and then God himself is going to let loose the grave and the clothes, the chains of death, and he's going to raise again. He's the, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God. He's going to be, you know, Lazarus, poor Lazarus, had to die twice. Jesus died once to pay for our sin, to satisfy God's wrath, to make peace between us and God. You know, it's amazing and and to think about how fast they were crying out, Hosanna, here's our king to crucify him. You see how fickle people can be? It's a remind, it, it reminds me, and as we think about how humble Christ not only came in his birth, but how humble he came when they were praising him and asking him to become, literally, they were saying, you're worthy, we, we, we think you're great. And yet he, instead of coming on a, on a white, majestic horse, he comes through on a lowly, humble donkey. Reminds me of a story of a young boy and a donkey and an old man. And it goes like this. Once there was an old man and a, and a young boy who were traveling with the donkey. The young man was leading the donkey and the old man was riding on the donkey. Sounds pretty good. When they passed through a small village, some of the townspeople yelled, Abuse! Look at this old man taking advantage of this poor young boy. Sounds like what some people say at my house when they watch me cracking the whip with some of my boys. <laughs> look at that poor, uh, when they pass through the village, look at this old man taking advantage of this poor young boy. What a rascal. After they had passed through the village, the old man said, we had better swap over, otherwise they'll abuse us in the next village. So when they swapped with the old man leading and the young boy riding, but in the next village also they were criticized. Look at that selfish boy taking advantage of his grandfather. (laughs) Right? He should let the old man ride on the donkey. So then they both got off and led the donkey. But in the next village, the people yelled, out. Look at those two stupid people. <laughs> they have a donkey, but they are choosing to walk instead. When the old man concluded, actually, it doesn't matter what you do, people will always be critical. You know, it's amazing that people look at Christ and it doesn't matter what people think about Christ. Everybody's going to criticize uh, you know, and that's really the point, is one minute they like Christ, and then the next minute they hate Christ. Well, it's no different today. 
One minute people say, man, God does, a, man, God does a lot of really neat things, and the next minute God can't do enough. Solomon is, in his parable, you know, through the power of God, is, is reminding us of this vain idea of popularity. And this morning, we're going to really just look at one main point. One main point and look at a couple of thoughts. In the four-verse parable, Solomon reminds us that popularity is fleeting. It's really fleeting because people's ideas of what is right change all the time. People's opinions can be one thing one day and it can be totally another thing the next day. Therefore, we are better to choose influence or what is better over popularity. Solomon's story, basically, his parable goes like this. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction for he has come out of prison to become king. And even though he was been born poor in his kingdom, I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all those who are before him, and even the ones who will come later will not be even happy with him, for this is too vanity and striving after the wind. What is view and the idea of this parable is that the succession of kings, none of whom fully satisfy the the populace. A king comes, a king goes, a king, and a king that was there, an old king, a king that the idea in the Hebrew here is a king that has been in this position so long that he no longer even listens to wisdom. And then another yet young man replaces him. They rise, they fall in society. A young man goes from Nothing to something to the top. Not everyone will accept or even appreciate him. Therefore, since it is impossible to achieve full acceptance, it is foolish to spend one's life seeking advancement in popularity. It's better to stay poor and wise. That's the idea. Solomon is saying, it doesn't last. There's just somebody that's coming along that's going to replace. It's better to stay poor and wise. From this unimpressive position, it may be possible to influence from being poor and wise. You might be possible to influence more people than you ever thought possible. Popularity is another vanity and annoyance of the spirit. Upon the throne sits an old and foolish king. He is dethroned and replaced by someone else, preferably younger. He is re- then the young is also replaced because the people are never truly satisfied. Do you see the circular, never-ending cycle? No one's ever satisfied. And here's the main point that we see. Labor on earth is often motivated by the desire for popularity, power, and prestige. A lot of times, 
the motivation and working and toiling under the sun and living on earth has to do a lot of times with popularity. The better you are at something, the more popular you become. Got to be a better at sports, got to be better at school, got to be better, a better boss, you got to be a better student, you got to be a better something. I've seen straight A high school students that were, that, you know, they were pushed and pushed and pushed. You got to have straight A's only to go and flunk out of college. And it's like, no one is satisfied with how good you are. And they realize that. They go to college and, and people don't care if they had straight A's. They just become someone else. And, no one, and, and all of a sudden, they're not popular anymore. I've seen, I, I've seen it personally. I've been experienced it. I've, I've played baseball. And I remember going as a freshman. I, I, I decided I was no longer going to go to Christian school I wanted, I wanted to play sports, and so the Christian school didn't have sports, and I, w- I was good at sports. I was so good, I talked about it all the time, and I annoyed the snot out of Anissa. My mom came to me wisely one day and says, hey, would you ever want to date Anissa? And I said, everybody wants to date Anissa. And she was the older popular, you know, the older girl in, in youth group. I was not the older, wiser guy in youth group. <laughs> I was popular because I was just good at sports. I could run faster. I could jump higher. And I let everybody know it because I thought it made me better. And I annoyed everybody. So I went to high school. I got on the varsity baseball team right off the bat. And we were winning games. I played two games and tore a ligament in my knee. I didn't tear it playing baseball. I teared it showing off at church playing basketball. My whole high school baseball career done. I stopped. The next summer, I broke my leg in five places showing off playing in baseball. I decided, I think God was trying to tell me something. That being popular in sports, you know, it's funny, as soon as I stopped playing sports, all the guys at high school that I thought were my friends stopped talking to me. No, I was no longer good at sports, or I stopped playing sports, so people stopped. Oh, you know, the, the prestige, the power, the popularity was all gone. And see, it's all vain. There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody that has more power there's always somebody that has more money. There's always, there's always something else, someone else to replace you. More is not better. That's Solomon's point here. You can go from nothing to king and then still be replaced. And we learn something from this as we go through and look at this. And the first thing, one of the things that we learn is this, don't live for what is passing, for what is fleeting. We can learn something from Jesus. Jesus didn't say, yes, finally, everybody likes me. I'm going to jump on my high horse and I've got to stop messing with my... There we go. It, It doesn't like it when I grab the antenna and I wrap it around the cord. There we go. So... He's not going to jump on his high horse and, and, and become king of Jerusalem. He jumps on the donkey. John chapter 12 is 
a great example of not living for what is passing. Jesus knew that this idea of him being king was just going to be short-lived. And in just another few days that they're going to want to crucify him. They're going to take a terrorist in Barabbas and they're going to turn him loose and they're going to take Jesus who just raised a guy from the dead and they're going to nail him to the cross. Talk about short-lived popularity. That's extreme, isn't it? None of us have ever gone from somebody wanting us to king us, to be king, to wanting to crucify us, right? Yeah, it's short-lived. You notice in verse 13, they're yelling, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Talk about popularity. They wanted to make him king. Why? Well, in verse 16, they remembered that the things that had been written about him and been done by him, right? They just, just a few days, just the day before, they called Lazarus out of the tomb. Do you notice what the Pharisees, Pharisees are like, we are not doing our job good enough. <laughs> they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Nothing we are trying to do to get this man out of the way because he's ruining our popularity. Right? He's taken over. Look, the world has gone after him. You do see that the focus of the Pharisees were about this popularity, prestige, and power. And yet they had realized that it was just passing, it's just fleeting. They got to do more. They devised a way to kill. If you keep reading, you notice that they even desired to kill Lazarus. We're going to kill Lazarus and kill this Jesus. And so begins what we now call the Holy Week. We can't live for what is passing. Why, why live for popularity now when it's just going to be gone tomorrow? Christ isn't gone tomorrow. The work of Christ isn't gone tomorrow. What Christ, His blessings for you is not gone tomorrow. You see, not only do we need to stop living for what is passing, but don't trust in empty praises. The praises in the triumphal empty of Christ was just empty. There was no weight behind it. There was no real intent to make him king, the rightful Messiah, the rightful ruler of the universe, there was, it was empty talk. It was empty praise. I wonder if you realize just the empty flattery that they, that they threw out to Jesus that the world and the prince and the power of the air, the controller of this world right now, devil himself, all the empty flattery that he is throwing at you. I wonder if you realize how truly empty it is, how vain it really is, how empty the promise of prestige and popularity is. You know, it's amazing if you 
Turn to Thessalonians chapter 2 as Paul is writing a letter to Thessalonians, to Thessalonica, to the church there. And he's talking about all these things that are going on, but he's talking about the power of the gospel. And, he, and, he, and there's some interesting words that he chooses to tell him. And, and in this text, in verse 1 in chapter 2, he says, For you yourselves knows, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In the way we came to you and why we came to you, it's not in vain. Verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, when they established the church at Philippi, there was much suffering and much persecution. And he says, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He said, In the midst of all the conflict, we proclaim the gospel and how great God is. Verse 3 says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. It's not worldly. It's not, in fact, he goes on, of any attempt to deceive. It doesn't have any impurity, any deception, no error. It comes from our great God. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God. We didn't come to you to flatter ourselves or to please people. We didn't come with words to convince you how good we were. But we were approved by God. We were entrusted with God's great news that he came to save us from our sin. He says, we're not trying to please people, right? Jesus was, when he came, it wasn't about pleasing people, but about pleasing God. He didn't ride on that donkey to please people. He was humbly saying that he was preparing himself to go to the cross to submit his life to God. Listen to what Paul says in verse 4 as he writes to the Thessalonians. We didn't come to please people, but to please God who tests our heart. Basically, God knows his heart. It says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness. We didn't come to you to get anything from you. We didn't come with just empty words, fleeting words, that we might gain something from you. We came to give you something. Something full of real power. And God is our witness. He knows our heart as God only knows our heart. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people. We didn't seek glory. We want to give God glory. We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. We could have used our position to make demands, but that was not the point. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother takes care of his own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. They didn't come with empty praise for themselves, empty praise for power. They, they, when we learn in this text of this parable that Solomon gives us, is we don't live for what is just here, tomorrow, here today and gone tomorrow. That's passing. But we don't trust in empty praise. And Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's saying, don't, we didn't come with this empty praise to flatter you with something that was just passing away. We came to glorify the Lord. That's the real question. Are you just trusting in empty praise when people say, wow, you're good? Actually, when people praise me for something, I, I kind of shudder. Right? It's like, if they only knew how bad I really am. You didn't see all the mistakes behind the scenes. You didn't see me get upset, you know, a couple days earlier. <laughs> right? It's not about me. It's about God. I shudder sometimes because it's easy to become self-absorbed with the praise of others, whether it's at work or at school or in sports or in just a hobby that you have. It leads us to the third thing that we notice because of this parable is don't trust in those who can't provide, right? Psalm 20, verse 7 from... uh, David, it's really apropos as we think about the triumphal entry of Christ. Is this, was, they're throwing palm branches at Christ and saying, Be our king! Be our king! I'm so glad that Jesus didn't trust in that because they weren't going to provide him with anything. It wasn't the mass of people that provided the kingship of Christ. Jesus isn't king because people liked him. He is king because he is God. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. If you think about it, in David's time, the chariot was the tank. The chariot was the, the bomber, right? The B-52 bomber. We were talking in our men's group on Friday morning drinking coffee. Can you imagine during the missile crisis, the Cuban missile crisis, some of you were alive then and remember that, but they had every airplane in the air filled with bombs ready to go. That's quite an amazing thought. Some people put their trust in that. but we put our trust in the Lord, the strong name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Where's your trust? Are you putting in your trust in those who can't provide? I'll never forget 
when I was, right before I went off to Bible college, I, was, I had been working three jobs preparing to go off to school. I, I had graduated early from high school, and I was given the ability to have this job working at this warehouse delivering car windshields. And uh, I was a low man. I was 17. They trust, I couldn't believe it. They trusted me to load pallets of windshields. You know, it's one thing to have pallets. It's another thing to carrying windshields on, especially when they're like Porsche windshields and they're like, you know, $1,000 per windshield and each pallet has 50 on there. Just do the math. We had a guy who dropped one of them. He didn't come back to work. <laughs> that was a little bit more money than the, they were willing to part with, so they parted with him. But uh, yeah, so a 17-year-old driving these around, and I'll never forget one day they said, hey, we need you to go pick this guy up in the airport. And I said, do you realize I'm in this big cargo van, and you want me to go pick up this guy at the airport? And they said, yeah. I said, okay. It was just short of a semi, you know, it was this big dually, you know, so it's about 30 foot long, you know. So we're driving it. I go to the airport and I pick it up. And this guy is the, is the VP of, of the company. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm driving around in a 30 foot van, you know, or big old cargo van. And I deliver him and he says, and he just asking me questions about the job and so long story short, basically the very next day they said, hey, Kyle, we'd like to take you to lunch. I'm like, really? Yeah, would you, go to, would you come with us to lunch? I'm like, great. Got, this time I, we rode in a nice convertible to this beautiful steakhouse that I, I ordered a big ribeye because <laughs> it was on the company. I was like, great. I'm like, what in the world am I doing as a 17-year-old with the VP and the manager of the warehouse? eating a ribeye for lunch, getting all bloated, (laughs) fat and sassy with the muckety-mucks. They looked at me and said, we love your work ethic. We're just amazed at how a 17-year-old can be so responsible. We want you to train and become the vice, uh, well, the the assistant uh, manager of this place. This is literally a week before I go off to Bible college, and they're saying, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to buy you a car, we're going to pay for an apartment, and we're going to give you a salary. Hmm. I'm like, wow. We're going to move you to another warehouse. That was in Washington, but wasn't where I was working, but another warehouse that was failing, and they wanted me to go learn there so I could become the manager. I was like, wow. And they said, so what do you think? I said, wow, that's, I'm humbled. That's huge. That's amazing. But I'm going I'm to turn you down. Said, what? We're going to buy you a car. We see what you drive to work. <laughs> we called it the dead flesh mobile. Just let your imagination. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm like, I'm God, no, God, want, and I, God wants me to go and learn the Bible so I can help people. I know that God, that's why, and I started to share the gospel with them. They're like shocked. You're going to turn down? And I'm like, this was, I was like, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit because, man, I was tempted. You know, 
And I was thinking, a lot of things went through my mind. I was like, all sorts of stuff went through my mind. Not all of it good. And somehow, some way, by the, by the grace of God, I turned it down. It was funny, it was a good friend of mine that, brought, that, gave, me, that gave me the job, basically. Uh, I asked him a few years later, I saw him, I said, so how's things going? And he says, well, have you heard? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'm no longer with the company. And I said, why? And he says, well, they went bankrupt. The year after I went off to Bible college, they closed down. Yeah. Don't trust in those who can't provide. They promised all these things. Like, we can provide all of this for you. When Nisa and I had a time, we had an opportunity to go candidate at churches when I was an associate pastor. And this was long before we came here, but I don't know how many churches that we went off to. Most of the churches never asked my wife to come. It was just, hey, we like you. We would like to, you know, we've seen your resume because my crazy mentor was sending resumes to people and I told him not to. <laughs> um, anyway, and they're like, we want you to come. And I'm like, and so they come. And this was, what the, this was like a sales pitch. We could build you a house and we could do this and we could do that. And I was like, well, what about God's word? Do you want to know what I believe? And they're like, oh, well, we've seen your resume. We, 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 we can trust you. I was like, really? Just because it says something on a paper? You know? And they're like, oh, yeah, but we could do this. We can give you this much money. I can't tell you how many sales pitches I received from churches. Anissa and I were talking and praying. We said, let's make a list of everything. Like, we want a church that loves our family. We want a church that loves God. We want, a, we want a church. It's not a perfect church. We just started writing all these things down. right? But it was amazing. There was a church that had this multi-million dollar facility. They had it all, including a lot of sin. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you guys believe about this? And they're like, oh, it's okay. They had a guy living that was on staff who was living, divorced his wife and living with a girlfriend. Wasn't even married. I read him some scripture and I said, well, what does God, you know, don't, aren't we supposed to honor marriage? And he said, oh, well, he's a good guy. He, 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 he's a good teacher. I said, really? Teacher of what? Because his life's not really teaching much. <laughs> and we had it. I just, I couldn't believe, I was shocked. They offer the world, but you know, they don't provide. That church, a couple years later, the pastor left because of infidelity. The church went from 1,000 people down to like 70. They laid off all their staff. It's like, Lord, thank you so much for dodging that bullet. You know, people can offer you the world. And then they'll pull the rug right out from underneath you. That's not who Christ is. They were saying, King, we want you to be king. 
Now they're going to crucify him. Right? Here's the conclusion. Here's the, the, whole, the whole point. Don't exchange. Don't swap out. Don't exchange your greatest treasure and, and service of temporal popularity and prestige. Don't, don't exchange your greatest treasure for the service of temporal popularity and prestige. Don't just look at what the world promises that they can provide for you and say, oh, this is awesome. Don't live, listen to the flattery, the praise, false praise. Don't listen to all those things and give up the greatest treasure. It's just vanity. It's just vanity. Psalm 146 tells us about this. I don't exchange, there's a, I have a typo there. Don't exchange your greatest treasure for the service of temporal popularity and prestige. It's just temporal. Popularity doesn't mean anything. Don't be the best at something because somebody's just going to beat you out later on down the road. Your body is going to give out later on down the road. Don't win a beauty pageant because it's just going to be gone tomorrow. Just glorify God. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will praise to my God while I have my being. While I'm alive, I will choose to praise God. Verse 3, put not your trust in princes. Don't trust those in high places, right? Just look at the Meghan Markle and Prince whatever debacle. Doesn't look good to be the Queen of England these days. (laughs) Don't put your trust in princes. In a, in a son of man or in just the son of people who are born on earth and whom there is no salvation. When the, his breath departs, he returns to earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Don't trust in the high and mighty that are born just to this world because they, don't, they can't save you. They themselves are just going to die and go back to the earth. And guess what? All the great plans that they had, those in high places, are going to go with them. They die too. Verse 5, blessed is he, or complete joy, complete fulfillment, is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the Lord who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who is truly the Lord. Look at that. Who keeps faith forever. He keeps faith forever. Do you see? God is not fleeting the things of God. You can trust God because God is forever. It's not fleeting. It's not passing. Verse 7 who executes justice for the oppressed, 
who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The world just ensnares you in vanity. But God, who keeps faith forever, who gives us true justice, who gives us true comfort, He sets the prisoners' feet. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Remember what it said in our text? It said, it's better to be poor and wise. It's better to be poor and wise. Do you see here it says, the Lord lifts up who are bowed down. That actually means to be poor in spirit. The Lord lifts them up. The Lord loves the righteous. Same idea of the wise. The Lord watches over the sojourners, those who are traveling in this world. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. By the way of the wicked, He brings to ruin. The way of the wicked, He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. That's right. A little crying there too, but. <laughs> the Lord will reign forever. Our God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Who are you praising today? Galatians 1.10 says, Paul said this, for, I, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? That's a great question you should ask every morning. Am I waking up to seek approval from men or am I seeking approval of God? He was asking the church of Galatia because of the conflict that was there. And he says, "For I'm, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's something to think about. If we are trying to please men, then how can we truly say that we are trying to serve Christ? Are you saying, I follow Christ. I love God. I'm a servant of the Most High. But how can you say that if you're still trying to please man? theologian said this, there has always been people who have sought popular acclaim above all else, and there are some still. It is part of the fallen human nature that even those charged with the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel can fall into the trap of trying to be popular rather than faithful. Paul is saying here, Paul pursued the pop. Paul was at one point in his life pursued popularity before he came to Christ. The power and the prestige. And he's saying, I'm not seeking that anymore. I'm only seeking to glorify God. Philippians chapter 3, he tells us this. He says, I once was this. I was the best of the best. But yet I I found that in Christ, it was nothing. 
I count all the gain that I once had, I count it as rubbish. Do you see how much he disdains all the gain that he pursued in life? How worthless it was? The word rubbish is really slang for a pile of dung. Pile of poop. That's what the word means. That's how we viewed all of the good gain in life compared to Christ. He said, my greatest treasure is to pursue Christ. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love the one or you'll hate the other. You can't do it. If you're seeking the praise of this world, you're going to have disdain in submitting to Christ. If you're trying to submit to Christ, you're not going to enjoy the things of the world. You can't do both. But it is Christ who can give you pure joy, lasting peace. In fact, in Matthew 6, 19, he says, don't seek treasures that are on earth, but seek the treasures that are above. Are you looking for acceptance from the world or acceptance from Christ? A lot of times you'll hear people say, you need to accept Christ. But the reality is, is the question is, does Christ accept you? Because that's the truth. He died in our place. So then that way, we can put our faith and trust in Him. And He, God, would accept you. Not on the basis of of your good deeds, not the basis of, of a choice, but on the basis of Christ, that he died on the cross to settle all the accounts, to wipe our slate clean. If you are trying to find, and to, you're doing all these things, coming to church to, to find acceptance, to, to, to just be good, to say, if I do a lot of, if I read the Bible and I come to church and I do a lot of good things, and maybe, maybe, and if I accept Jesus, then God will look good, at, good on me. If you're just trying to be good, there is never going to be good enough to measure up to God. God doesn't accept our good. He only accepts His good. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We were talking in our men's group on Friday and a verse came up, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are found in Him. God accepts those who are in Christ. Are you still pursuing the world and the world's acceptance or... Have you asked that question, will Jesus accept me? He will if you've submitted your life to him. He says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Where is your life? Is it in Christ? 
He is our greatest treasure. Will you sadly throw your greatest treasure aside just for a temporal treasure in this world? Don't do it. Don't do it. Christ and his death on the cross is so much greater than anything you will ever receive or ever can receive. No matter how hard you try, you can never measure up to Christ. Have you submitted to Christ? He is our comfort. He creates our community in which we can grow. And He is who we need to submit to to find acceptance. Have you submitted your life to Christ? He died for you that you might lay down your life and pick up His. Because He satisfied all of God's wrath. Will you live your life based on finding acceptance with Him, not with this world? Lord, I thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word. Lord, the popularity that's here in, in, in our world is fleeting. But Lord, You are eternal. Our good deeds are tarnished by our sin. They will never provide. No one in this world can provide what You can provide. We cannot provide what You can provide. The eternal life. We are sinners destined to have to pay for that sin. But while we were yet sinners, you, Christ, Jesus, you died for us. You conquered death because you were the perfect lamb, the lamb without sin, without blemish. You can pay for what we cannot pay. So Lord, you've called us to lay our life down in submission to you so that way we can... you can give us your life in our stead so we can throw your life on and be found in your good, in your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for, for conquering death, that even though the world at one time wanted you to be king, you had perfect plan, and that was to go to the cross. Pray, Lord, that the remembrance of the cross this week would permeate our minds, that we would lay all our sin before you. You have told us that if we confess our sin, he, that is God, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to wipe us clean, to purify us from all unrighteousness, everything, no matter how bad. I pray that we would come to you. Thank you. And I pray, Lord, that someone here would call upon your name if they've never been saved from their sin. If they're like, wow, I, I've just been looking at the Bible and church and God as just a religion about being good and I didn't realize that I needed a Savior for my sin. Maybe someone that's watching from, the, from their home and the live stream that would say, I need a Savior. I need to stop trying to be good and I need to accept Jesus who is good and His 
gift of salvation, his gift of payment for my sin, and to call out to him and say, here is my sin, Lord, forgive me. I need you. I pray, Lord, that this morning that you would save somebody. This morning that you would go out with your power of your spirit and do a miracle and turn somebody's heart to you and that they would know that they are going to heaven not based on their good deeds but based on the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And he rose again and his sacrifice he has imparted to us that we would have a new life with him that we too, as he rose again, that this new life that he has won for us is now given to us, that we'd be counted with him and his goodness to have a relationship for the rest of eternity with our Father in heaven. May we treasure that relationship above all things today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.